Hello, Collateral Gaming listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast. I just wanted to take a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. No, it's not video games, but we do invite really awesome and unique bands from all over the world. We dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you, and there's tons of music every week, so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Megan Gardner. And I'm Alan Gomez. This is Collateral Gaming. Welcome to Collateral Gaming, the only video game podcast that matters, where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. We are podcasting straight from San Antonio, Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. Well, we're uh, practicing social distancing again, right, guys? Yeah, we got a lockdown again here in Texas. Mm-hmm. We have to wear masks everywhere we go, or it's a fine. <laughs> it's a statewide mandate, and I mean, honestly, if if that encourages everyone to stay home, and and if, if everyone's wearing a mask when they go out, maybe that'll be for the better. Hopefully, we can get you know through with this pretty soon. But we decided to go ahead and Skype this in again. So uh, again, apologies for the bad audio. I mean, it's just something we're just gonna gonna have to deal with. But we're here. Uh, we're a little bit delayed from when we originally wanted to release this episode just because of events in our personal lives, COVID, things like that. But we're super stoked to talk about it. Um, we've been playing this game for the past month, and I, I think I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. How about you guys? Oh, yeah. It brings back a total sense of childhood. Our diet has changed from healthy food to chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a nostalgic yeah, no, it is straight. Went straight into childhood. Definitely looks a lot better than it did back then, though. Like we knew any better. But. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Before we get into that, though, we're gonna do our annual, annual, no, not annual, our episodic uh, collateral gaming news. So, first off, The Last of Us Part 2 was released, right? Yeah. That was a pretty big deal. In fact, there were a lot of people that, um, you know, even before the game came out, when the leaks were out, there were a lot of people that had a criticism for uh, the direction that the story went in. Now, I haven't started playing the game yet, and I don't really know much, but... Um, there's a lot of people yeah. that are actually genuinely disliking the game, but then you're also seeing a lot of people that really, really love it. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. a binary. <laughs> yeah. We were with some of our friends uh, last weekend on the 4th of July, and we had one friend that really, really enjoyed it and loved the storyline, thought it was a great progression for Ellie and in her own progression, I guess, through the game, because it's more focused on her from what I understand. 
And then uh, I had a, we had another friend who just hated it, didn't want to talk about it. He was like, <laughs> it was stupid. And I was like, don't talk about it around me because I haven't played it yet. Um, but it just, it, it was, it was either great received or poor received. I haven't gotten anything in the middle from feedback from friends that have bought it. So yeah, I've heard that love it or hated it at the end, you're going to cry regardless. Yeah. Which I mean, the first one already made me cry. So, so I'm just, I'm, I'm expecting the headache post cry. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think that's pretty powerful. A game that makes you cry. I mean, it, that, that's something. Yeah. I'm excited to play it. In fact, we're, we're going to be. We'll go ahead and announce that, I guess. We will be talking about that next season um, because, I mean, there was no way we couldn't jump on that train. And I think just with the controversy, it's it's going to be a fun game to talk about. Now, another thing that happened recently was, uh, actually, well, since our last episode, but not so recently, you know, at the time of this recording, but uh, the PS5 console design and several titles were announced, uh, including some exclusives. There was that live stream event, um, it was really exciting. There were some really, really, really cool uh, new games that were announced, including my my favorite from the pick was Spider-Man Miles Morales. I was a huge fan of Spider-Man PS4, a game like The Last of Us, uh, both of those we've done on the podcast before. We may not be doing Miles Morales as an actual episode, but definitely want to talk about it, maybe do either a, a Let's Play or a bonus round on that. I want to incorporate that somehow into next season. Because I was just, yeah. I was just floored away by Spider-Man PS4, and I'm super excited about what has been described as a, a standalone uh, spinoff, or say it's its own game. It's not just an expansion, but it's also not Spider-Man Two. It's just kind of its own yeah. side story, uh, not unlike Uncharted: The Lost Legacy. That's what it's being compared to. Now, I know there was a one particular title that you were pretty excited about, right, Megan? I can't wait. Uh, they have released the name of the next Horizon game. It's going to be Horizon Forbidden West. So they're going to go, I guess, out past where um, the Outlands are into a different part of the world, and there's different machines, and you might be able to actually battle Palmex. I'm so excited. I, I can't wait. I'm it so looks excited. Fun. It looks really it, the, the trailer, like, I'm, I'm in a fan group, and they are literally all just, like, blown away by just the graphics from the trailer alone. So... And then, I mean, the game, the first game itself was already so gorgeous. Like, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the first game was amazing. Uh, and I'm, I was really, really, really uh, blown away by it. And I'm excited for the sequel as well. I didn't play all the way through Horizon Zero Dawn, um, but I did play quite a ways in. I'd like to finish that at some point. Um, hint, hint. And also, uh, the, the trailer for Forbidden West looks really, really, really cool that little teaser yeah. trailer. Um, I believe they also announced Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, so, in, in, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess that. Insomniac is working overtime if, if they're doing both Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank. Or I don't know. I don't know if Insomniac is still doing. I heard that they grew the company just for these two projects. Like, they just were like, all right, guys, we, the fans want more stuff. We got to <laughs> make more team members. Like, can't blame them. They're a really good producer yeah. team, so. Same thing with Guerrilla Games. I mean, they hired a whole new team. Like, I remember watching through, and, like, they had so many job listings for it. They're, they're not going past Horizon. They're going to start making a lot more um, intensive games, and they want to do a lot more independent titles other than Horizon, which, I mean, compared to their last uh, first-person shooters, it was, like, the Walmart version of COD. <laughs> I'm hoping it's a little bit better. 
Well, Naughty Dog's been working overtime too. The Last of Us Part Two, and then now another Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, there's another Crash Bandicoot yeah, coming yeah, out Crash as well. Crash Bandicoot Four. It's about time. Which yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of a pun there. You know, it's about time for Crash Bandicoot Four. Even though technically we did have a Crash Bandicoot Four, <laughs> yeah. but I think people like to forget about it. Like people like to forget about Spyro Four, <laughs> which we'll talk about that. We'll talk more about Insomniac Games as well because they're the developers behind the original Spyro trilogy. But yes, mm-hmm. uh, Crash Four, I'm super stoked about. I know the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy was kind of what launched the Spyro Reignited trilogy. In yeah, fact, they're Insomniac very and Naughty Dog are you know kind of have a, a very friendly rivalry or, or friendship, actually, kinship between them. There's more to that story, which we'll get into when we talk about the development history here. But yeah, I'm really impressed by all these developers and uh, the love and care that they put into their games. Um, another title that was announced for the PS5, but not an exclusive, uh, was Resident Evil Village. That looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what I heard about that one is it's not Resident Evil eight it's going to be its own independent thing so it's different than same universe just different characters mm-hmm. it's kind of like what is it the one that you were talking about where they're all connected where it's horror movies oh like uh but uh but that, that uh the conjuring and yeah. annabelle and all that oh, yeah. stuff yeah same universe different characters that that is actually really exciting i didn't know that but i mean I, yeah. i've never really got into the Resident Evil games, I've I've played a little bit of them here and there, but I'd like to. I mean, I know the series, you know, has has been critically acclaimed. I mean, obviously, it's gotten so many games in the series for a reason. Oh yeah, no, it's a fantastic series. It's really good. The last one I played was Resident Evil Five on a 360, and it was okay. I just didn't like the mechanics of like you couldn't walk and shoot at the same time. You had to like if you wanted to run, you run, stop, aim, shoot, run, stop. Like you couldn't shoot and move That's and walk weird. at the same time. Um, it's just a, like, I'm sure they did that for a reason because they don't want you to blow through <laughs> zombies. They got to make it somewhat of a... I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. that kind of forces you to play a certain way. That's interesting. One piece of news that is actually of interest to me as someone who, you know, in high school was kind of part of the skater crowd was uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 uh, are going to be remastered. That's pretty cool, mm-hmm. but that's not exciting for me as Skate 4, um, which I, you know, Tony Hawk is great, I mean, but EA Skate is the objectively superior series. I mean, there's there's just no way around it. The controls are more realistic, uh, there's the, and they feel more like skateboarding, uh, and there's just something about, um, you know, the freedom that you have with Skate that I really enjoyed, and, you know, the last game we had was Skate 3, which was on... Um, the, the 360 and PS3. So, I mean, it's skipped an entire generation, but Skate 4 is in development, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, which are beloved fa- favorites from fans, are being remastered. Oh, yeah. I makes me wonder if uh, Tony Hawk's going to make a well, cameo I mean, it, in it again. Well, I mean, it's the same game as, 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 the, as the first two, right? It's just being remastered, so... Yeah. Well, I know like with with some remasters that have been coming out recently, like they change a little bit of the dynamic of the game, where they ask the voice actors to come back because there's just not recoverable uh, data from the original engine to create the game and stuff. So I wonder if he's going to make his own new cameo or like if he's going to joke about how like, oh man, I just saw a guy that looks like Tony Hawk. Yeah, well, me, Tony I Hawk. I love his tweets. <laughs> actually, they're great. Yeah, but that's interesting that you said that too, because you know that kind of actually happened with the Spyro games, which. 
uh, are, are yeah. almost, uh, in a sense, remakes more so than they are remasters. But um, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit here. Any other additions to Collateral Gaming News? Um, not that I can think of. I mean, they've dropped all the specs and stuff like we discussed in the last episode on the new um, consoles. Those are supposed to be coming out later this year. We don't know if it's going to be delayed because COVID is spiking again. Um, so we're not really sure what's going on, but uh, regardless, that's probably going to be Christmas presents this year. <laughs> yeah, I just I like how uh, Sony and Microsoft are kind of just like duking it out, kind of about the price. They're like, hey, uh, you gonna release your price? No. Well, I'm not either then, and it's just a mystery. <laughs> it's like Step Brothers, but console edition. <laughs> oh, you know what else? Um, there's one new console that's not yet announced, but it's it's reported. It's it's rumored. Um, and, and I think it's it's pretty definite at this point. They just Microsoft has yet to announce it, but the Xbox Series S, um, which is going to be like a lower cost version of the Xbox Series X, so they'll have you mm-hmm. know both a high tier and low tier console, which I think is interesting. I think that's actually a good uh, dynamic to have. That's a good way to appeal um, to a wider demographic of gamers. Um, and in fact, yeah, I, mean, I'm I agree. Probably going to invest in the PS5 first. And because of, you know, money, it's going to be hard for me to get another console. But, you know, if they have the Series S out, and for me, I mean, I'm not that big on specs. I mean, I'm, if I was big on specs, I'd be a PC gamer. So, I mean, specs don't matter to me. It's exclusives that matter to me. So, yeah. you know, I, I would probably want to invest in, in the cheaper one. But, but yeah, no, that was uh, a lot of news, actually, within the past month and a lot of stuff to go over. A lot of really exciting new games and, and consoles coming out that, during yeah. this, these troubling times, I mean, we're we're pretty stoked. I mean, when we've got COVID going on, and obviously we have you know police brutality and, and and minority suffering, and you know it's just there's just a lot of crazy shit in the world right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's insanity. I like it's kind of one of those things where it's like, do I even want to step out of the house? Kind of just it's, it's insanity everywhere right but, now. I mean, the world of gaming is, has always kind of been a um, a respite from that, you know? It's been like our escape. I mean... Yeah, yeah exactly. Escape reality. I, 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 I've, That's what I've always loved about video games. It's just kind of like the whole fantasy. And what better game than Spyro to kind of really escape into? In fact, right now, I mean, I found myself really intrigued and really um, invested in the bright colors and the, you know, just the the fun zany characters and the light tone was a really nice you know distraction from reality for me playing a game like this when we see a lot of more like gritty serious titles and kind of moving back into what was more of a just a different era of gaming when things were different (laughs) yes simpler (laughs) times exactly (laughs) Um, but the spiral reignited trilogy of course is a uh, remastered collection or I want to say that they they pretty much are full on remakes because I I don't think they reused any of the original assets because um, even all the voice work was redone and all the models were redone and man the level of attention yeah. <laughs> to detail you know but yeah it's the first three Spyro games kind of the the holy trilogy I mean after this the Spyro series is kind of perceived as having gone downhill uh, these are the three games that were developed by Insomniac Games. Um, again, the developers behind uh, Spider-Man, which you know we did an episode on, which we talked about earlier, but also the Ratchet and Clank series, the Resistance series, Sunset Overdrive, 
Insomniac Games is now, as of recently, a subsidiary of Sony Interactive Entertainment. Originally, when we did our Spider-Man episode, we actually noted that Insomniac was one of the few Sony collaborators that wasn't actually owned by Sony. They were still an independent studio. Um, But this is no longer true. They are actually part of Sony now. um, And all releases as of the launch of PS5 are actually going to be branded under PlayStation Studios. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar to what Xbox did and bought out all those indie developers. And now that's just under, like, I think it's like Microsoft Games or something. Are they doing the same I can't thing? I remember. I, they, they talked about it at E3 a couple years ago. They're doing a lot of similar stuff. They're trying to go into their... PlayStation is kind of pulling an Xbox move and going into kind of delving into the indie developers and, and trying to help them out and buy them out. So there's more games for the whole platform of gamers to... That I mean, that's a good move. Yeah. I mean, and, and with Insomniac joining Sony, I mean, I think that's a good move as well because, I mean, essentially they're going to have access to more resources and they're they're going to be able to produce AAA games. But it, yeah, I mean, Insomniac is known for for creating the Spyro series and also creating the Ratchet and Clank series, and the the games that Insomniac did produce were very well received. The you know the the original Spyro trilogy that's being remade here, but also their Ratchet and Clank series. Um, a lot of people describe as not missing a beat. I mean, there's not a single bad game in the series. Yeah, they're <laughs> Which so fun. I think can't be said for Spyro. There are there are some pretty bad ones, um, or you know, mediocre ones, uh, which we'll we'll talk about. Now, the remaster, the the reignited trilogy, was done by Toys for Bob. Interestingly enough, mm-hmm. they are known for the Star Control series and the Skylander series, which um, was one of the iterations of Spyro. Um, which I kind of was not a fan of of that whole thing. I mean, I never got into the Skylanders. It kind of just seemed like a kid thing. I know Spyro was in it, but he was just like yeah. one supporting character. I, I, you know, I was just kind of not happy that Spyro was just relegated to being, you know, just one part of a franchise and not being his own star. But I mean, it at that time, I mean, that's just kind of what was going on. Um, but at least they're aware of the character and they've worked with the character in the past. I can't say anything bad about how they're, you know. He's been treated in this game. Um, one thing that Toys for Bob also did was the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, um, or at least the Switch port of it. Uh, I think Activision was actually behind the Insane Trilogy, but Toys for Bob did the Switch port. And um, Toys for Bob is going to be involved with Crash Bandicoot 4. Yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, what's it is? Yeah, about it's time about time. time. Uh, other uh, studios that... Uh, helped develop the Spyro Reignited trilogy includes Sanzaru Games, um, who were in charge of the Year of the Dragon remaster, and then Iron Galaxy, who uh, took over the the PC port. But I remember that there was quite a popular demand for a Spyro uh, remaster trilogy right after the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy came out, because those two characters have always been linked. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of memories of playing one and then going to the other and it's like well i have one yeah exactly and and what's interesting is both series kind of took the same turns three games that were great and then are kind of you know regarded as as a holy trilogy and then kind of a few misbeats and and then you know a reboot or two in there and (laughs) and then you know now a a return to yeah uh, to fame you know with you know just remastering and and now with the direction that the crash series is going in with producing a game developing a game which is now going to be crash bandicoot 4 
after the trilogy and kind of you know going back to roots i think is really is really a good step because if that's what's going to happen with spyro i mean we're, we're probably you know in line for a new good spyro game and that's exciting um one thing i do want to mention is that uh unlike the crash bandicoot insane trilogy this uh, the Reignited Trilogy was actually a collaborative effort between Toys for Bob and Insomniac Games. So Insomniac was still involved in the development of this game. Now, one key goal, as noted by art director Josh Nadelberg, was to get Spyro right. Um, one thing that you know was done with his model was that he was put mm-hmm. through rigorous stress tests to explore a range of emotions and expressions. And I really felt like they did a good job with modernizing the character and find, being able to fully explore his personality in a way that the, the PS1 games couldn't, right? Yeah, I mean, He's exactly. just more animated. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely weird seeing, like, Spyro with different emotions because, like, when you're a kid, like, it's only one little thing and there's not even really, like, cutscenes and, yeah. you know, like, as a kid, you didn't know, you know, that games could be as good as they are now. Of course, like, none of us could see into the future, but, like, even just a little bit we have, we were like, oh, wow, he's so cool looking. Now you're like, Bro, like shit. <laughs> and now it's like, whoa. Hey, you see the trilogy, and you're like, bro, he has facial expressions. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, he he has a full range of emotion, and he really has a lot of personality. Um, and I really liked that. I think that Toys for Bob was able to provide what I believe was Insomniac Games' vision. You know, just they didn't have the technology at the time. And I'm really impressed by how well modernized the games are, and how well they the gameplay still stands up. I mean, and, and you know, yeah. one quirk of playing old games is that sometimes the controls are sticky and and they're just they're it's hard to maneuver and and there's glitches and bugs and you know all of that's been you know moved past and and it really does feel like you know with all the content in this game I mean this this game feels these games I should say you know feels it feels pretty modern I mean. Yeah, and it's kind of cool to watch, like, the new generation of, of children play what we played as kids. You know, like, a lot of the, the original children that played this are, you know, parents now. And it's like, hey, you want to play a game I played? And it's like, you don't have to play it on my PlayStation 1. I can play it on my PlayStation well, exactly. 4. I mean, who, it's who really cool. Who still has a PlayStation 1? Not a lot of people. Yeah. And eventually those consoles are just going to stop working. I mean, I know they recently did, the you know, the PlayStation Classic, uh, which is good. And we've got ports. Um, but yeah. I don't think there's, there's an... Movies and video games uh, studios get a lot of flack. There's a lot of criticism for remakes and reboots and remasters, and I don't see an issue with that at all. What's wrong with bringing something that's tried and true, taking um, something that is commercially successful and critically successful and and bringing it to a new generation? Exactly. You want to keep that that gaming... I wouldn't say culture, but... uh, history alive you know like you want to be able to be like hey you know pass it down like hey this is what i played as a kid i want you to enjoy how i enjoyed it and and there are plenty of new games i mean don't there's it's not like it's taking away from the bank of available new ideas and if anything you know remaster like this which is completely faithful to the original um, i think does go over a lot better one thing that was actually interesting though was that Insomniac wasn't able to provide the source code, so Toys for Bob had to use an in-house emulation tool, which they called Spiroscope. So, I mean, essentially, I guess this game was pretty much built from the ground up. Yeah. Good. They couldn't recover anything from the old engines because it's, it's, it's like, 
it didn't was compatible. Yeah, even yeah. the dialogue was re-recorded after 20 years. So yeah. all of the characters are, um, even if they're voiced by the same voice actors, some of them are, some of them aren't. All of it was actually re-recorded, including Spyro's voice. Now, the original composer mm-hmm. of the trilogy, Stuart Copeland, um, we'll, we'll have more to talk about him in a minute, but he's actually the drummer for the police. Um, he did the score for the original games. He only came back to write the new main theme and didn't write any other new tracks, but I'm really happy with what they did with his old tracks in the game. Yeah. It's kind of like the new Doom. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're it's the same songs, but they've been redone, and then there's new additions, and there's some cool aspects of it, like Spy- when Spyro's running, there's kind of like a galloping, and when he's at a standstill, it kind of calms down a little bit, and you can actually toggle between the original music and the, the reignited tracks in-game, by the way. So for people mm-hmm. that don't want to listen to the new ones and preferred, you know, that nostalgic value, that's still there, but I guess... We'll kind of go over the the series history a little bit here before we get into you know each individual game. But I mean, what what is uh, Alan and Megan like? What what is y'all's history with the series? Um, I don't really have much of it. This wasn't a game that I don't. We had friends that had it, but we never played it. But I know him and his brother played it. Me, me and my brother played this game religiously. I don't know if we. I don't remember getting too much into the second or third. I remember playing the first one a lot, and um, yeah, uh, I mean, on the PlayStation 1, and it was just something, you know, family, you know, me and my brother would go and play, and my dad grew up on, like, you know, older stuff, but it was still kind of to where he can get into it, so when we couldn't catch those damn egg thieves, it'd be like, controller, dad, and he's like, okay, let me see if I can do this, <laughs> but uh, it, it was a little bit harder back then from yeah. the controlling of the uh, angles and everything and in, in PlayStation 1 they didn't have the analog joysticks it was just the, the D-pad and um, yeah, it was just yeah. I mean from what I can remember I, I, when did it come out? 90? Yeah there, it was it, it's in the 90s through the 2000s I know yeah um, like mid to late 2000s or yeah uh, yeah. yeah I mean I know uh which we'll call it. Spyro Two was in nineteen ninety nine. Year of the Dragon was two thousand. Um, I can't remember when the original came out. Well, ninety seven. Ninety seven. Okay. No, but yeah, the uh, original PlayStation trilogy was exclusively on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Spyro the Dragon, Spyro Two, Ripto's Rage, and Spyro Year of the Dragon. Um, these are the most fondly remembered games in the franchise. Um, I didn't really get a lot of experience with them either. I kind of came into the series later. Um, I uh, The game I started with was A Hero's Tale. That, that's pretty much the Spyro game that, that introduced me to the franchise. And um, that I remember playing that on the GameCube. Um, but yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with the original PlayStation trilogy. I was aware of it. I think I've seen people play it. And now, like, I'm, I, I kind of, uh, I do feel like I kind of missed out, but I didn't have a, you know, a PlayStation growing up. My first console was a GameCube. But one thing I know is that, you know, like, like you were saying, the, the games originally, you know, you had to play with the D-pad. I know, I think there was a controller that came out for the PlayStation that had the, the analog stick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but later. In, in this it came game, out like two or three years later after... Uh, the initial console release, I believe. I don't know 
but it was something. It was. It seemed like a long time back yeah. then. And these games, I think, could still be played with the analog stick once you got that later. But originally, I mean, you had the D-pad, um, and with Spyro's movements, I imagine that could have been kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, after the original PlayStation trilogy, we had Season of Ice and Season of Flame. Those were uh, portable games, um, I believe, on the Game Boy Advance. And then there was the infamous Enter the Dragonfly. Um, well, you know, is Spyro 4 for consoles, but was very poorly received um, just due to uh, short length, um, just not nearly as much content, and the game being extremely buggy and glitchy. There was also, of course, more, I think, uh, portable games, Attack of the Rhinox, and then um, Spyro Orange, Cortex Conspiracy, which was a uh, crossover with Crash Bandicoot. There was Crash Purple and Spyro Orange. Mm. Um, and then A Hero's Tale on the GameCube, which I've heard, I mean, I liked it as a kid. I, I would need to revisit it to have a second opinion, but I yeah. thought it was great. I mean, I, I played through the entire game. It was one of the very first games I had on the GameCube. I fell in love with it. It was, I think at the time, my favorite game before I was introduced to Zelda, um, before I, I had the Wind Waker. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but no, I was, I, I was really, really into it. But I think the game was perceived as more catering towards children and i mean don't get me wrong spyro has always been family friendly but even adults can play kind of the original trilogy but a lot of like the jokes and and the humor and the tone of you know the later games are just a little too childish i've also heard that it isn't just isn't quite reached the same tone um but i did like how spyro had more fluid movements he could double jump and glide yeah um and, and things like that um, and then, of course, after that, there was the Shadow Legacy. I played that one as well on the DS. Um, that was actually a pretty fun game. I think it actually has been actually pretty well received, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and after that, they had the Legend of Spyro reboot trilogy. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I didn't play them, but I was aware of them. Actually, I played the handheld versions. That was This was during the time when games came out and they had both a console and a portable version. Mm-hmm. I remember, I play, remember I played that. the portable, but I never played the console ones. There was a New Beginning, Eternal Night, and Dawn of the Dragon, which kind of were more combat oriented, um, and they were actually pretty poorly received, or at, or at best, you know, mixed reviews, um, just because it's like they were going for a gritty, realistic version of Spyro, you know, kind of like more of like an epic version, and it just doesn't work. That's not what the original games yeah. were, and I don't know. Why they can why they ended up making three of them is beyond me. I again I haven't played them, but I, I did kind of watch some um, reviews and I mean they, they, they seem pretty abysmal. Um, and just you know a game that started out as a you know a more of a platforming game and exploration being relegated to more combat based just seems like a downgrade to me. And apparently there's just a lot of combat. And then of course after that. Um, Spyro was relegated to a side character. I mean, he was essentially just one of many, uh, starting with Skylanders, Spyro's Adventure, which originally was going to be called Spyro's Kingdom. Um, and I think Spyro was not going to be playable, but like it was going to be like his own kingdom. Maybe it was like an older Spyro. Um, and then eventually that became Skylanders. I think just because the series was just so poorly received at this point, you know, developers kind of just gave up on it. But oh, thankfully... We did get now Spyro Reignited Trilogy. There's a lot of hope now for more Spyro games. I 
think I smell a barbecue. Looks like I've got some things to do. Hold your horns. Thank you for releasing me. We're going to actually guess kind of actually get into it now, mm -hmm. starting with Spyro the Dragon. What did you guys think about the first game? Oh, it jumped me right back into, like, being a kid. I remember, like, going over to friends' houses to play this game, and uh, it was just so fun. Uh, especially just, like, you know, like, it's it's been such a, a stressful time for everybody out there, you know, and just to be able to play, you know, a game that was originally designed for children, you know, it's just, it's a very simple game, you know, this, I know this game, you know, for like a lot of kids, you know, it created the completion of gamers that we have now that are like, I have to get 100%. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was so fun for me. It, it was kind of a refreshing bit to be able to play a game that was more simple, childish kind of thing, like more of a... It gives you that nostalgic feeling yeah. of playing the game back then and just thinking about being a kid and not really worrying. The world had a lot less troubles. I mean, it had its own troubles, but it wasn't as... We weren't aware of them. Yeah, and that's ignorance. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. if you're a kid, you don't have any responsibilities, and that's what I like. You just sit there and play the game, and Mom, I want more chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, please. Yeah. <laughs> Or a hot dog, whatever. <laughs> uh, of the three, I mean, this one does feel, I think, the most nostalgic. Um, it does also mm -hmm. feel the most dated, I will say. But there is a certain charm to it that is kind of unique, yeah. I think. I want to say that there, there's a charm to the first game that doesn't quite make it into the other two. They're, they're, I think they're better games, but they're, they're different. Um, in a way, it's all you know. For me, it's kind of similar to the Batman Arkham series. Um, and that Arkham Asylum is is not as good of a game as Arkham City or Arkham Knight, but damn, it just has such a cool tone that the other ones don't have. And I I kind of felt that to a much lesser degree here, but there is a certain tone to Spyro the Dragon that I think is a little bit different. Um, and and I think even some of the more technical aspects that were added in the later two games in the remaster here weren't added, like the hover and swimming. I mean, the game was kind of left intact as it is, I think, because by adding some of those abilities, it would make it more... I think it would. there would be some... There would be a lot of sequence breaking and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, Spyro the Dragon um, was an open-ended 3D platformer. Kind of one of the uh, 
pioneers, I think, of the genre. I mean, if you, you can compare it to games of the same era, like Super Mario 64 or... Yeah. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, Crash Bandicoot. Donkey Kong. I, I think there was something interesting about Spyro, though, that set it apart was just Spyro's movement. I mean, he's a quadruped, um, and he can fly. Well, he doesn't fly, he glides, aside from some levels. There was just kind of this aspect of being able to, you know, glide across the map, and, and there was this sense of exploration. There are six hub-style dragon homeworlds, the artisans, peacekeepers, magic crafters, beast tamers, and dream weavers. They all have their own feeling. Especially with the, yeah. I guess just say the life that's been breathed into them through the Reignited trilogy. Um, they all have different feels and different characters and enemies, and, and they all kind of feel different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, each homeworld also consists of portals to levels. Um, I thought that each level kind of in, in its own way also felt very unique. Although they did stick to the themes of their homeworlds, you know, each level managed to have its own aura you know what i mean its own tone and, and i thought that that was interesting i mean what what how did you guys feel going through each of the worlds and each of the levels um i think it was a lot of fun i liked how there was like i wouldn't say puzzles because for me puzzles are, are a little bit more i guess like challenges um i, I really like that concept of being able to have like a little bit of a challenge to be able to get to this part and then you know, you have to kind of rewind, um, and that does kind of uh, portray on into the later games. Of course, you know, like you go back and you get you get an egg kind of thing. Same thing from the third game. Um, I really liked how you know there was a different part for every game, and also just like like I said earlier, like like that's the one thing I love about you know like the Spyro trilogy itself, even just the Reignited trilogy, is just the simplicity of it. Like there wasn't, I didn't have to rack my brain to be able to figure out, okay, like okay, now I gotta fly over here so I can glide here. Like, it, it was just so much simpler for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely brought back the completionist in me. Yeah. Uh, I was like, man, I didn't get all the gems in this level. I have to restart it all and figure out where I messed up. And, um, yeah, just, it was it was fun. Each level had definitely had its own feel. I liked the different variations mm-hmm. and, um, all, like, the different challenges. And I, I think, like, her puzzles, though, it was, I think the closest would be, you know, like getting that those eggs, the egg thieves. Oh, you know, I hate know. those. Yeah, uh, I hate those almost as much as money bags. <laughs> fuck money bags, honestly. Fuck money bags. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I kind of agree with you guys. The puzzle solving in the first game is a little bare bones considered. Um, I think the first game was just more exploration based. Um, but there was yeah. something about yeah. it that was new, that was different, that kind of drew people in. And, and I think despite the technical limitations at the time, the game really does shine through. And that core gameplay that makes itself makes its way into the sequels, which I think improved upon the first game in every way. Um, but the first game does still have its own feel, its own distinct tone. And I do like the way that the levels are kind of organized according to theme. 
I do like the simplicity of it. There are there were times when I kind of was like, hey, I want to go back and play Spyro the Dragon. I just, you know, I, and I think it was the most fun to 100% as well. I mean, the gameplay was pretty simple. I mean, it just consists of exploration and collection. Your main goal is to rescue crystallized dragons. The side goal is to collect all treasure, all the gems. Um, and then, like you said, there's yep. the stolen dragon eggs, which, you know, are obtained by chasing and defeating thieves. But one thing that's cool about this is that finding every collectible unlocks a hidden world. Oh, I, didn't I, actually ha I haven't didn't actually that. played yet, but like the dragon statue collectibles. All no, everything. like all the everything. Oh, all like the one hundred percent that game. Oh. Yeah. One thing that has been added to this game, I know, and then the remaster was the uh, skill points. That was something new. So there was also something extra to do in every single level. Um, if you were going for a hundred percent completion, just kind of what were more like achievements or trophies, just, yeah. you know, find this hidden flower or, or do, you know, defeat this boss without taking any damage or uh, things like that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the, the original game has been kept in intact and I was actually thoroughly impressed by how well this remaster stays faithful to the original, even, you know, the limitations, even the fact that it, it kind of is, uh, more constrained than the other two and not bringing in, you know, the abilities that I th probably would break the game, but bringing in some <laughs> quality of life improvements and, and like Sparks being able to point out treasure. That's good. Did y'all know about that? Cause I didn't know about that until no. later. <laughs> Sparks can point out no, treasure. If you're going for a hundred percent completion, it's, it's necessary. But if you click the analog stick, Sparks will point treasure out. Mm, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an aspect that was in 2 and 3, but not in this one. Um, but I guess what was unique about Spyro as compared to other open-ended 3D platformers at the time was, you know, I guess the combat and, 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 and Spyro's method of platforming. I mean, as far as the combat goes, Spyro can charge and he can use flame attack. Um, there were mm -hmm. enemies with fireproof metal armor that have to be charged, and there's large enemies that have to be hit with the fire breath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of them you'd punt off of a freaking cliff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, yes. Punting punting enemies off cliffs. I mean, like like we talked about in our Star Wars episode. I mean that's just exactly. there's nothing that's yeah. <laughs> you find a way to do it every time and every single yes. game. <laughs> just people off the <laughs> I love eating yes. people, it's great. Just just eat them off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> As far as platforming goes, I mean, Spyro can jump onto platforms and he can glide to reach faraway platforms. And that in and of itself, you know, kind of creates this unique gameplay. Now, being a dragon, you would expect Spyro to be able to fly, but he just kind of, he kind of jumps and he glides. And it, there is, it, it's a very, you know, for me, it's a very satisfying feeling. Every single time you do it, every single time you pull it off and you just barely reach that faraway platform. Something else that was unique about Spyro was the concept of using Sparks the Dragonfly as a health gauge. I mean, when, when Sparks takes a hit, he goes from golden to blue to green, and then he disappears, and then you eat butterflies. <laughs> you, you, yeah. I have to wrap my head around this. Spyro kills fodder, like sheep and other small animals or creatures, and then they become butterflies, and then Sparks eats them. I, I, don't, I don't really get it either, but... Um, that's how it goes. There are also power-ups, like the Supercharge and the Super Flame. I think in the first game, it was just those two. But, you know, like I said, all of these things considered, it was considered, even at the time, just very unique 
to other 3D platform games. In my opinion, I think Spyro the Dragon had the most difficult gameplay out of the tree, out of the yeah. out of the three. <laughs> you, you agree? Yeah, no, it was definitely the and most difficult. Maybe not intentionally, but I think because of the slightly less refined controls and level design, it, it does have a difficulty to it that, you know, it sometimes makes you kind of want to pull out your hair. But at the same time, I think that the three games overall were good at not being too frustrating. Challenging, but not too frustrating. And I, I think that's yeah. what gives them character. And I think that's what gives Spyro the Dragon character. As far as the story goes, again, it's kind of bare bones, right? I mean, it, it, the other games yeah. kind of do delve more into that. But the, the series as a whole isn't heavily story-based. I think that's where Legend of Spyro trilogy went wrong. But as far as the story goes, I mean, it's pretty simple. You've got Nasty Nork who loses his temper and decides to encase all the dragons in crystal and steals their treasure. Um, you've got the young dragon Spyro who um, somehow manages to evade that and he sets out to free the dragons, defeat Nork. He visits each dragon homeworld. He defeats the forces and, you know, rescuing dragons, collecting treasure on the way. And then apparently there is a secret ending that can be unlocked by collecting everything. Hmm. Well, I think we got like, we got, we didn't get 100%. So I yeah. kind of wish we could have seen that. I'm pretty sure some kind of, uh, like grand screen thing would appear if we got it. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that was in common with all of the games was that um, there is kind of a reward for getting 100% completion, which is good, more so than just doing the thing. I mean, there's going to be an uh, unlockable endings and things and extra worlds. And so that's really interesting. Um, like, there's not much more to say about the story, I don't think. I mean, just, just that it's there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The story, yeah, the story itself. Is it's just, very simple, it's very yeah. It's linear and just progressive, and it's just like, okay, next boss. Okay, next yeah. boss. But, I mean, one thing I did hate that I did remember doing in the original one from PlayStation 1 was the those timed aerial challenges where you're just, like, gliding around and you have to go yeah, up the and flight down levels. And collect all these things. I have always hated that, even when I was a kid. I could never do it. I'd hand the controller over to my brother, and he would maybe first or second try, he'd collect everything. And he's like, all right, well, you couldn't do that? I'm like, no. <laughs> just frustrated. I still can't do them. I'm like, how does he, how? They're hard. How? I, it took me a long time, too. Like, when I was playing through this, I didn't get it at first, but in the later games, which they the flight levels later became known as the Speedway Challenges, there there is a method to it. You just have to collect the items uh, one at a time. You start with one, and then you go to the other, and then you go to the other. And so you just kind of, kind of have to figure out the strategy. But the the objectives are laid out in front of you in a way that you can go from one to the other to the other to the other. But it, it is hard. And it'll be wrong. Like the first game, I'll be just being thrust yeah. into that. But they are the only parts in the game where Spyro actually flies, um, other than the loading screens. If you miss one thing, you're not going to get that extra boost of like yeah. 10 or 15 seconds to circle back around and get it, and you just got to move on to the next like little subcategory or whatever you got to collect there. So you got to nail everything perfect first yeah. try in order to just all in one. get it all. Um, and it, it is kind of difficult, but I did like the the, uh, the the flight stages, which every home world contains one and a boss fight. Um, one thing I have heard is that the, mm -hmm. you know, and I have to agree is the boss fights are criticized in the first Spyro game as just being very simple and too easy. 
I mean, there's just not a lot to them. Every boss basically yeah. consists of, okay, attack the boss, and then they run away, and then you go attack them again. And and, and in particular, Nasty Nork is kind oh, of yeah. anticlimactic. I mean, you get to him, and then you just chase him, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a lot of the, um, like, the in the temples, like in the Zelda games, like with the, the mini bosses where it's just repetition. It's like, hit, dodge, hit, dodge, yeah. hit, dodge. Like it reminded me a lot of that, which I mean, it's, it's, it's of the time period. So it makes sense. But like now it's like, damn. Yeah, no, be... definitely. But... Yeah, no, now we're like, bro, it took me two hours to fight <laughs> that boss. <laughs> but I mean, while the, the gameplay and the story are kind of um, just, just bare bones cons- compared to the other games, I mean, they still do. I mean, there is still a charm to this game. And what I think is just really interesting more than any of that is just the, the development. I mean, one of uh, one thing about Spyro the Dragon is that it's one of the first PlayStation games to utilize shifting levels of detail on rendered objects. It was the second game ever developed by Insomniac following Disruptor, which was a commercial failure, but received enough positive critical reception to impress universal interactive studios now known as vivendi games well that now now they're they don't exist but but and then spyro came along and was extremely critically and commercially successful but what's interesting is that initially apparently the tone was going to be darker and more realistic being inspired by the movie dragonheart bits and pieces of it but um I mean, that, that was kind of what they were going for, but then the producer, Mark Cerny, um, was the one that advised a mass market appeal um, in order to compete with the Nintendo 64, who had a, a selection of children's titles that greatly outnumbered the PlayStation. And, I mean, look at the result. I'm, I'm, I'm happier that the series went in that direction. Um, another thing, it was originally Spyro was named Pete, <laughs> but evidently that was too similar to another dragon or... I guess not the dragon, but Pete Pete's dragon. Um, so they changed the name to Pyro. Mm-hmm. They thought that was too mature, so they changed it to Spyro. So there you go. The spy, the Pyro in Spyro does actually mean you know has to do with fire. I, I never made that connection. Yeah. No, I didn't either. I thought it was something because of like the way he runs or something. I, I never knew. I was like, that's. Really I never thought neat. about it. Cool. <laughs> Apparently he was also originally colored green. Yeah. But the developers changed his appearance to purple so he wouldn't blend in with the grass. That yeah. Sense. Yeah, that was kind of cool. One thing that, and I mentioned this earlier, but Insomniac had a close relationship with the Crash Bandicoot creator, Naughty Dog, whose office was located directly across the hall. The two developers frequently worked together, and they played early builds of each other's games, and then later sharing technology as well. But what's interesting is there's actually a hidden demo of Crash Bandicoot Warped, the third Crash game, in Spyro, and vice versa, Spyro the Dragon is in Crash Bandicoot Warped as a demo. Yeah, I think it's access through the title screen or something, but I thought that was interesting. But the ability to glide and cross entire levels from a high enough point did make designing levels difficult, you know, because obviously you could just skip past things if they didn't design the level right. But it also meant that levels could be more open-ended and explorative. And I mean, I think the end result speaks for itself, right? Yeah, exactly. One thing that was interesting was that there was a NASA engineer who specialized in flight controls, who was brought on to help with programming camera movement and Spyro's movement controls. Yeah, you. I think you had told me about that whenever we were about to start playing this game. 
And that probably ties into not having analog sticks. One look and one move. You only have a D-pad to look, move, navigate. Yeah, which so. was what made the game so much more difficult, probably, and probably why it feels so much easier now. Yeah, I had to have that engineer come in and mechanic, you know, build yeah. the software for that. I think that's what makes it so much more. It feels more simple now because you can actually move the camera. Yeah. You can actually be like, hey, I can look over there and I see I see some Yeah, I can look over there without moving my character and accidentally falling yeah. off the edge. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Um, one thing, too, originally was that, the, and then it kind of ties into what you guys are saying, but initially the camera would directly follow Spyro, and it, it was changed to the more steady kind of over-the-shoulder because it had a nauseating effect with Spyro's high-speed movements on, on, like, early test player. Oh, like in the dashing and stuff. Ooh, God. Well, I remember, like, playing it on PlayStation 1, obviously, with the, with the D-pad and trying to... You know, like you're running in a circle trying to catch yeah. the egg thief, and you can't like turn the camera to look into where you're going. So if you change your angle slightly around the same corner and you come back around and you forgot to change it back just a little bit, you're gonna run right off the edge and start. Yeah, all that over. can happen. And sometimes, <laughs> I, I mean, I know I know I had the I had the action camera set on the later games instead of the passive one, and sometimes sometimes it was useful, but other times it kind of. Uh, it did make things difficult, and I would run off the edge by accident. One thing I heard was that the motion blur in the game, um, in the Reignited trilogy, is actually one of the, the few criticisms, is that there's a lot of motion blur, and it, it did kind of make people a little bit sick with the Spyro's high-speed movements. I didn't experience that as much because I played the Switch version, which I think was more refined, um, and I think the later versions were patched. Also because I was playing in handheld mode, and handheld mode, I have a Switch Lite. Handheld mode doesn't have the motion blur. That's a setting that's only on the TV mode. So, but uh, they did it actually to kind of um, to handle the frame drops. That was why the motion blur was added. But I, I've heard actually that the motion blur. I've heard from quite a few reviewers and uh, other people that the motion blur was was not a good move on on Toys for Bob's part. It just kind of makes it just makes you more sick while playing the game. And so it's good that in the at least in the Switch version you can turn that off. And I didn't really notice the frame drops. So I I think a lot of that was patched. Yeah, I didn't either. And we played on the Xbox. You played the the so. Xbox One version. Yeah, well, we debated for a while because I, I mean, I have both. I have the Xbox and the PlayStation, so I was like, do I want to play it on the PlayStation or do I want to try it out on an Xbox just to see if there's a difference? Um, so we bought it on the Xbox, and it felt like a really good game. I didn't have any issues with it I at all. The way the Xbox controller fits in my hand better than the PlayStation. The PlayStation feels. I mean, I love. Both consoles, but the, the controller itself just fits better. Yeah, the, well, the, the PlayStation controller is, is longer because of the... What do they call it? The, the touch bar? No, the, the... Yes, the pad, the touch pad. Um, it feels longer and more elongated as most PlayStation controllers do because it's the, the D-pad is so long. The, not the D-pad, the touch pad, touch pad yeah. is so long. Yeah. Well, in some games, that operates as a D-pad. I, I will say I'm more of a PlayStation gamer, but the Xbox controller does feel a lot more comfortable. i got to give Xbox credit on that. But one thing that was interesting about the original Spyro game, around 80% of the code was written in assembly and other parts in C uh, for simplicity and speed. But writing in assembly sounds really difficult. Yeah. I mean, assembly language is, is basically more, I mean, for, for people that aren't, you know, don't know much about computer programming or computer science, assembly language is, is actually um, one of the more basic rudimentary game 
or programming languages. Um, it's much closer to the actual, well, the way that the computer speaks. <laughs> I mean, computers speak in binary. Binary, very close to binary. What's that? I would say it's very close yeah, to binary. Yeah, it's much closer to the original binary. I think assembly is pretty much just the step up from that. Um, and it, it, it it's more corresponds with the instructions and the language and the architecture's machine code instructions. Um, but to write a game in assembly, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see how it could be done. But let me see. Oh, I, I just looked it up. So the original Spyro was released in North America in 1998. So the three games oh. were successive, 98, 99, and 2000, interestingly Oh, enough. nice. Yeah. Um, but I did want to touch on Stuart Copeland. Again, uh, as we said earlier, the drummer for The Police, he did the compositions yeah. for actually all three games. Um, but he was given early builds of the game and with cheats enabled so that he could get a feel for and come up with a fitting composition. Each song was written to correspond to a specific level, actually, although ultimately they didn't actually use it that way. Um, but Copeland himself says that um, he feels that this was some of his best work. It, hmm. And the soundtrack, I mean, it's really actually something. Yeah, no, it's just, I, I don't want to, like, call it, like, I don't know, to me, like, Spyro is a cute character, but it's, like, a cute, airy work of, like, composure compared to, like, you know, very intensive games, like The Last of Us, for example, with Gustavo Santayola, or, um, or is it Santayola? I can't remember. Santayola, I think? Um, and then, of course, you know, like, the Mass Effect, also with, like, the God of War series, like, they're all very, like, deep and dark, and, and then you get Spyro, and it's like, duck, duck. Yeah. you're just like oh okay that's cool you, you just triggered memory bank one for me when you <laughs> said airy i remember i had a it, it was like a, you know it's a like the outline of spiral on a piece of paper like printed and it reminded me of me using blow pen to color it in you remember blow pens oh my god i wonder you had the little cone on it <laughs> yeah i spiral with it oh my god just had that feel right wow that's funny. yeah um but as far as the, the voice work goes, what's interesting is that originally Carlos Alazraki did the voice of Spyro, um, although he would be later replaced by Tom Kenny in both the Spyro sequels and in the Reignited trilogy. They re-recorded with Tom Kenny's lines, I guess for a sense of consistency. But Alazraki, if you hear some of the original voice clips, I mean, he, he does kind of have his own spin on the character and, and by no means is, is that voice work bad on his part. Yeah. I guess kind of wrapping up here on Spyro the Dragon, um, it does currently hold an 85% on game rankings, regarded by many as one of the most fun 3D platformers at the time even. Critics lauded the presentation, especially graphics, technical performance, Copeland's soundtrack. Um, there was a lot of praise for the level design and controls. Their work was criticism directed at the lack of diversity and abilities and obstacles. I know the boss fights in particular have been criticized. But what what do you guys think about, you know, just the overall graphics and the execution and the presentation, especially in the, the Reignited Trilogy version? I think they fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't personally seen any Crash Bandicoot. Uh, I know one of my, my nearest and dearest friends has it, and he's played it, and he loves it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, similar, you know, in that way to the Crash Bandicoot. You know, I think they just brought a new life to it. Um, the gameplay and the graphics for me are really cool, very vivid. Um, 
It's almost like its own sense of nostalgia and a colorful yeah. way. Yeah, and, and even the original games were colorful and vivid, but they were very just bare, especially the you know the first game. Yeah, well, seeing it on a 4K TV, it's like the colors like jumping at you. You're like, whoa, am I tripping on acid? <laughs> like, it's this insanity. This game would be fun on acid. Um, oh no, oh my god, oh I did play god. this game on acid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. No, I did. <laughs> it was actually surprisingly easier to play than some other like just really heavy games. So I guess that that's a good thing. This game is easy to play when you're on drugs if you're tripping. Um, <laughs> don't do drugs. Yeah, yeah don't do drugs. Um, yeah, don't do them. But I I uh, really like how much um, detail was added. I mean, you've got the individual braids blades of grass which blow in the wind you've got spyro's tail his body movements are more fluid and um you know like we said before he's got more expressions a lot of the characters in the game especially in the first one who are just regular like dragons and not a lot of diversity now they all do fit the motif of the area that you're in so you have the dragons that look like artisans or magic crafters and they all kind of have their own personalities now in a sense and even for the short like three seconds that they pop up and say their useless phrase. <laughs> but some, some of it really is useless. <laughs> yeah, no, don't forget that you can learn to fly. Really? really? I don't think I could okay. have gotten here if I... <laughs> You're the fifth dragon that told me that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Some, some, some of the dialogue is just laughable. And it, it really does show its age, but it's it's... I love that you know, most most of the lines of dialogue were kept intact. Um, something that's interesting is in the original, uh, a lot of the dragons actually, I think, had the same lines. So they actually fixed that. Um, like I said, all, all the dialogue was re-recorded. So um, a lot of the dragons do have their, that b before repeated script, actually have their own lines of dialogue now. But I guess moving on to Ripto's Rage. Um, I mean, just overall impressions. What did you guys think? Um, I mean, it, it's a continuation of it, of course, you know, kind of like how you were talking about um, in, our, in our last podcast episode with, with uh, Lara Croft. Um, kind of, you know, just a continuation of it. Uh, it's, it's not really much different, but there is some little, you know, added additions. Um, of course, you know, things like having to buy ability. Yeah, um, they elect new abilities, but you got to buy them. Because money bags is Fuck a money, money hoe. Fuck money bags. <laughs> That's gonna be like our catchphrase here. Fuck money bags. Perry, Perry. <laughs> <Boy>. Fuck money bags. <laughs> it's gonna be like a cumulative like phrase from each one. That could be our next <laughs> intro. <laughs> I like that idea. Um, yeah, like you said, Megan, I mean, it is mostly similar to its predecessor, although I think Ripto's Rage improves by leaps and bounds. I mean, introducing the hover mechanic, swimming, um, which was just completely absent in the first game. I mean, Spyro just, he just drowned if he swam. No explanation why. I mean, I guess... Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... Spyro is secretly the Wicked Witch. <laughs> uh, yeah, swimming was one of the new abilities, along with climbing and head bashing. Um, like you said, we're all there. These are all taught by money bags for a fee. 
Um, and he also, you know, requires Spyro to pay gems to progress in certain areas, which was kind of annoying. But at the same time, it means that gems or treasure actually has a purpose in this game, as opposed to the last one where, you know, treasure yeah. was just kind of for the sake of collecting it and for getting the, the last level. Um, in this game, I mean, gems actually do act as a currency, which is good. Um, by the way, I mean, did you guys catch on to that? Because, I mean, I, I remember when it suddenly connected for me. Spyro collects gems. He collects treasure because he's a dragon. And dragons hoard treasure. Yeah, he's a dragon. And they guard it for no reason. Yep. It's a dragon game through and through. I mean, he's, he's just a regular smog, but, you know, small and purple. And not with Benedict <laughs> Gumberbatch's lovely, gravelly voice. <laughs> but, yeah, I like uh, also the power-ups. Um, there's a lot more of them, and now each level actually has a power-up gate, um, which you activate by defeating a certain number of enemies, and it looks like their souls come out of their bodies and power it up. I, the orbs, spirit orbs, and I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, it's a lot yeah. different than just go, like continuing to go through the home world, and it's like, I don't like you. You're attacking me. I'm going to kill you. Now they now there's a purpose for enemies, too, other than the sake of yeah, getting a laugh. exactly. Um, I think... In the other games, I mean, it's it's. I think you defeat enemies for the sake of collecting the gems, so you can get a hundred percent gem com, uh, collection in the level. But um, they actually don't drop gems in this one; they drop their souls, which power gates. I, you know, I, I will say, okay, and especially you can tell in this game because some of the levels are just batshit crazy. Okay, the drug uh, insomniac games were doing some drugs. I'm telling you. They were on something. Yeah, no, they're kind of weird. I'm like, uh, okay. They're just so zany. <laughs> and especially what I like about this one is that every level has, uh, and just this one, Interrupter's Rage, has that beginning cutscene and end cutscene introducing a new species of character. Um, so yeah. you've got like the, the the monks who like levitate and objects and <laughs> um, I like that you play both sides in a war. At what you know, there's like the the birds versus like the lobby guys and you actually play both sides so Spyro's just like fuck everyone he, he, he just kills everyone on both sides I guess there's yep. different yeah. levels where you you, you you play on both sides <laughs> killing enemies from the other side <laughs> but yeah no I liked uh, a lot of the, the power ups I mean you've got abilities like invulnerability flight supercharge and super flame return ice breath and super jump and you've got those that each level containing the, the collectible orbs and um, which are earned through NPC side quests um, or later on completing the level. I mean, I liked how the orbs kind of become a main collectible in this game. Although in the early levels, it was the talismans and the orbs. And then in like the last home world, it's the orbs. Yeah. Which I actually had to go back through. One thing I will say that kind of broke the flow of the game for me in a sense. All right. Well, sorry me for cutting you off mid-sentence, but due to some uh, technical difficulties and... Uh, difficulties in our personal lives, we've decided to split this podcast into two parts. But don't worry, that means you'll get more content. I mean, we've already gone on for an hour in this episode, and we'll go on for an hour plus in the second part. So uh, I've gone ahead and cut it off here. We're going to resume right where we picked up, talking about Spyro 2, Ripto's Rage. Look forward to that. Uh, I should have that out, actually, not too long after I release this episode um, by next week hopefully as early as possible but I'm going to go ahead and upload this portion of the episode now what's also cool is that it allows us to kind of experiment with this format 
Starting next season, we actually are going to be splitting our episodes into two parts, an hour each, and releasing those bi-weekly. So um, by trying that with Spyro Reignited Trilogy, which again is three games, so definitely it's a game worth splitting up into two just to be able to discuss all of the content, uh, hopefully we can kind of give that a test run and see how that goes. So stay tuned for part two of Spyro Reignited Trilogy. We'll see you guys then. Collateral Gaming is an L Company production. All music and game clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor. Fuck money, money bags. Fuck money bags. <laughs>